0: The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. The coronavirus pandemic has impacted all of us in many different ways. The pandemic has also caused an increase in hostility and violence towards Asians and Asian Americans. On today's show, we'll be discussing the rise of xenophobia and racism with hey, hey DePew. Xenophobia is the fear and hatred of strangers or foreigners, whereas racism is a belief that racial differences produce the inherent superiority of a particular race. My name is Toral Patel.
1: My name is Anthony Sis.
0: And you are listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Hey, hey, thank you for joining us on today's show. Why don't we start by having you share a little bit about yourself, where you work at Cornell, and the pronouns that you use. Sure. Um, My name is Hey, hey, Depew.
2: I work for the College of Human Ecology. I am a financial analyst. I go by she,
0: her. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing. As usual, we will start with our question of the day, which Anthony has prepared for us today. So, Anthony, what is our question of the day?
1: So, my question of the day is very much kind of just keeping in mind everything that's going on in the world, everything that's going on in our personal lives and and whatnot. So it's really just a temperature check of how do you feel in this moment? And so I can start off with my answer of how do I feel in this moment? I feel overwhelmed. I feel overwhelmed by everything that's happening in the world as well as just what, what's happening in our country in terms of racial justice, in terms of social injustice, but I also have a sense of optimism. So I also recently just attended the March on Washington that happened at the end of August, and it was just a, a really inspiring moment and space to be in to be able to also realize that I was in the same kind of grounds and area that The same march was happening where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had his speech, his I Have a Dream speech. So just to be in that kind of environment and to be in that space with other key figures who are continuing the conversation or as they kind of phrased it, rather, you know, having a different kind of conversation around racial injustice that was different, but is just a continuation of what was said in 1963. It was just a really powerful space to be in. And I think it gave me that motivation and that hope and inspiration that I was that I did not know I needed at that moment that um, that I think is definitely something I'm sitting with as I think about the work that I do professionally as well as everything that's happening around this country and around the world. So I'm having a little bit of optimism as well. That's kind of where, where how I feel in this moment. And that's what makes me more excited to have the conversation that we're having today.
0: That's amazing. I'm so, uh, I don't want to say jealous, but I'm glad that you got to attend the march on Washington. I know we were talking about it, and I was very excited for you to go, so... Thank you for sharing that. For me, I, overwhelmed is, is a great word. You used that earlier and I, I feel the same way. I also feel hopeful that these conversations are happening. I'm glad to see that they're happening. Do you know? I sometimes feel like maybe things aren't moving as quickly as I want them to in, in terms of the right direction, but I'm having conversations with people that I've never talked about this kind of stuff with before. And so for that reason alone, I think I'm hopeful as well. Hey, how do you feel right now?
2: I feel like uh, my feelings fluctuate on a daily basis based on some of the things I've seen, you know, my own personal experiences. I spent some time with my family together for the first time in six months, so that was really nice to be around people, you know, that I haven't seen in a while. I mean, there's so much happening right now with the pandemic and then with, you know, a lot of these race issues happening in the country, so it really was very nice to see everybody and to have conversations with people. It, It was really nice. I think it's great to hear that you two are hopeful. I I feel like, you know, some days I am very hopeful. Some days I'm just kind of overwhelmed. Like, you know, as Anthony said, it is a lot. But I think I'm feeling in a good mental headspace better, I think, than I have in a a while. So that's how I'm feeling. Great. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. So, I mean, I guess coming into this conversation and with the check-in question about in the moment, we talked about what is happening in the moment and how that overwhelms us but i think it'd be appropriate to dive a little bit deeper about what is happening in this moment that is affecting us and so you know hey hey from your perspective as a staff member as a person of color what has been some of those experiences for you that have been challenging or that have really caused some of the ways that you are currently feeling as you mentioned in your check in
2: sure so not only am I a financial analyst for the College of Human Ecology, but I'm also uh, the vice chair on the employee assembly. And also for context, I am a Chinese American woman. So a couple of months ago, in early July, we had an employee assembly meeting. So prior to COVID, prior to the pandemic, prior to the quarantine, all of our employee assembly meetings were held in person and they were open to the public. And I think that's what the Employee Assembly is about. It's about representation. It's about inviting people to the table, community members, staff members, to talk about what are the issues facing the staff. It's a place to promote voices that maybe aren't usually heard. It's very much an open and welcome environment. So. When we moved to an online platform, you know, we wanted the same sort of openness uh, to be able to have this platform, which is open to all staff members, but also community members. So if you don't have a Cornell ID, you know, we really kind of welcome everybody. So we didn't have the security in place because we did want to have that sort of open environment. And so we got Zoom bombed. So myself uh, as the vice chair and also the chair of the employee assembly, Adam Howell, our backgrounds were taken over and swastikas were placed behind us in the chat there was derogatory commentary about black people and also about specifically chinese people some profanities were used in regards to chinese people and so that was that was very disheartening and that was kind of that was pretty hurtful to see on this platform which is really meant for you know open dialogue and and for you know the Cornell community staff members and so I think that was a catalyst for me personally to to have more conversations, to speak to other people of color on the employee assembly, to talk about their experiences, but also in my personal life to to reach out to other people of color, to kind of talk about what I went through and talk about what they went through. I think this led to a lot of, it it was really eye-opening for me when I spoke to the other person of color on on the employee assembly. I'm not going to name her name. I, I would like to respect her privacy. I had told her my plan was to file a bias report, and it sounded like for her this was not the first bias report. If she were to file, it wouldn't be the first one that she would have filed, and that there are other instances, you know, that she's faced at Cornell, and her advice to me was to develop coping mechanisms, and I think... That took me back a little bit. I think it was great sound advice. I I think where she was coming from was, you know, she saw these individuals as disruptors, um, which they were, and that they weren't um, specifically Cornell staff members with this prerogative to spread their hateful rhetoric. And I agree that I I don't believe it was a Cornell staff member. I could be wrong, but that's the sense that I got. But I think for me, it was difficult to hear another minority having difficulties in regards to bias at Cornell and also difficult to hear that to me in a in a way dealing this with this would mean accepting this behavior and then moving forward because i think for myself i don't want to accept it i want to think of what do we do moving forward how do we combat you know these things that we're seeing personally as a chinese american i've spoken to other you know asians other people of color i've had a Korean friend who was assaulted on the street and this person who assaulted them indicated they brought Corona to America. I've had friends who are doctors who are Chinese who who have had patients refuse their service because they're Chinese and they don't want to be associating and being taken care of by a Chinese person, a doctor. My sister lives in an area in Brooklyn where there were signs posted about Chinese people and how they brought disease and filth to the community. So anecdotally, I've just heard a lot of instances of racism towards Chinese people. And I think it's one thing to say anecdotally and think about what maybe I've seen in my social media feeds, but I think there's also data that supports, you know, what I'm saying. I think the Pew uh, Research Center published a study recently on 9,600 Americans. And from the study, we found that 4 in 10 Americans say it's more common for people to express racist views against people who are Asian than before COVID. You know, in the same study, uh, they found that 31% of the Asian people surveyed have indicated that they've been on the receiving end of uh, racial insults or commentary. So I don't think that from my perspective, seeing an increase in in racism and xenophobia towards Asian people is unfounded. I think for myself, I've seen it. The Zoom bomb uh, was an instance for me. I've had, you know, friends and family members talk about things that they've gone through recently. You know, I'm looking at the research. and, And so this is kind of happening in this country. And it's it's tremendously disheartening but i also want to say that that this is just a really difficult time for a lot of different people i think we're seeing in america that we have instances where black individuals black people black americans have you know been killed they've been harmed for doing mundane tasks that i wouldn't be fearful of doing or or have the same punitive repercussions and so it's it's been really disheartening to see these sorts of situations But it has been very educational for me having discussions with other people of color to kind of discuss what they've gone through. I think it's so important for us all to kind of have these conversations and see what's happening. When one person assaults another based on their race or ethnicity, the person, the assailant, is acting in a way where they've really lost their sense of humanity. And I think when we have these conversations and and we tell people, you know, this is what's happening. And... If we as a society don't acknowledge that, I think we lose a sense of our common collective decency. The thing that I had thought about, and I want to that clear, is I am a Chinese American, I'm am an Asian American, but we're not a monolith. And what has happened to me isn't representative of every you know, Asian American's experience here. But I, I think it is important that we do have these conversations, and, and we do listen to one another, and we can kind of try to find solutions if there are any possible As an Asian American, growing up in America, conversations around race have have always felt kind of black and white, these conversations about black people, white people. And I think as an Asian American, it's always been difficult to kind of see where we stand in these race conversations. But I think they need to be had. I do. And I think now is a good time, as good as any, to kind of have these sorts of discussions, although they are really difficult, as we've seen.
0: Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And especially your experience uh, being Zoom bombed and and experiences of your friends and, and family members and what they've gone through. Can you share a little bit about when you were Zoom bombed? What did that feel like? What was the impact on you as an individual? And then because you were Zoom bombed at work, in your work capacity, how does that impact your work at Cornell? I think
2: when I was Zoom bombed, it happened so quickly. I logged on. I saw... The imagery behind me, I saw the chat, I was trying to mute these individuals who were saying things out loud that were really disruptive. I don't think I'm that great at Zoom because I don't really know how to turn things off. If somebody has like taken over my background, I don't really know how to undo that. And in the moment, I I didn't think to stop my video. I, I just was so busy trying to mute people. I think it was very disruptive because I think at Cornell, I've been here about five years, and I've felt that the community has been really great, really warm, very receptive. I haven't felt any sort of like hostility, any sort of racism, any sort of xenophobia uh, from people. It it was really kind of eye-opening because I feel like we live in, in this sort of bubble, this this Cornell bubble, where I think diversity and equity are supported. And I have seen nothing but support from leadership But then to to kind of be faced with this kind of imagery and language, it was really unsettling. It was not something I'm accustomed to. It's not something I ever want to be accustomed to. I don't think it's anything that anybody on that meeting of over 50 people should have witnessed. You know, we have people from different backgrounds on that meeting. There are other people of color that were on this meeting. It felt really terrible for them. It felt really terrible for me. Um, It's not the Cornell community that... I feel represents what my experience has been and what I think Cornell wants to represent. So it was tremendously disheartening and hurtful. In regards to how it impacted my work, I think myself as a financial analyst, a lot of what I do is reporting. It's meeting with people, talking about you know budgets and finance. And, and so I think with that, it, it hasn't changed uh, the things that I've done. I know on the employee assembly side, we've changed our security. We have made a dual login uh, policy implemented so that we don't have these sort of disruptions again, and we keep a record of who's coming in and out of our meetings. So I think procedurally, that has been uh, a change, but I'm just doing my best to continue the work that I'm doing professionally and try to return to, to normalcy, even though this was just a very disruptive event.
0: Yeah, Thank you for sharing your feelings.
1: Going back to that incident and then I think, you know, moving forward, as you already mentioned, it's it's been a challenging situation even still to this day to kind of overcome. I just think about for yourself, what were some of the things that you immediately did after that incident happened to really center yourself, to really take care of yourself? Because I think particularly as A person of color myself, I think a lot about the importance of self-care, self-preservation for marginalized communities throughout this country, throughout the world. And so I'm just curious, you know, what were some of those things that you did, techniques, activities, whatever it was that you did immediately after to really take care of yourself?
2: Immediately after I filed a bias report, knowing managing my expectations, not thinking, okay, they're going to find the culprits, they're going to bring them to justice. It was more about having it on record. So filing a bias report, speaking to local authorities, talking about security, trying to figure out how do we prevent this. And then also I issued an email to EA members indicating this is what I've done. I filed the bias report. I encourage you to as well, if you feel comfortable with it, condemning the sorts of imagery and language on the Zoom bomb and letting them know where I stood. When it first happened, I was angry. I wanted to get a sense of what I could do moving forward to combat this. Um, So the bias report and the IT measures, that was part of it. But then also having conversations with other people, that was pretty integral because I want very much for people to know that these things do happen. I think it's important because I think sometimes people say, I haven't seen anything like that here at Cornell. And perhaps you haven't. And, And that's great, but These things are happening, and I think it's important to acknowledge that, that we're not free of this kind of negative, ignorant behavior that that it is around us, and and we have to find some way somehow to acknowledge it, even if we don't necessarily know how we can address it. Because the Zoom bomb incident, it was individuals that we can't identify with hateful commentary and imagery How do we combat this sort of faceless group? How do we confront this sort of faceless ideology and hate broadly? I mean, I think that's a really difficult question to answer. So I think for myself, as I went through a range of emotions, it was anger. Then it was trying to be more educated on other people's experience, trying to be empathetic towards their experiences, trying to kind of figure out what the next steps are reaching out to other individuals asking what their suggestions are and from you know this email we had another employee assembly member you know suggest writing a resolution to condemn hate crime and hate speech which was a resolution that I also supported and I think is a good way to state as the employee assembly this is where we stand on this type of behavior i think a lot of times when instances happen on campus sometimes it can be difficult to address them i think on the employee assembly, there's a lot that we are working on in terms of issues. And I think it was really a really good step for us to to have this resolution to solidify what our stance is because this is a racially charged time. And so I thought that was helpful. We had somebody else suggest that maybe we have conversations with other colleague network groups uh, on campus, especially ones maybe geared towards people of color to kind of have conversations and talk about their experiences so that we could learn more. And so it was really great to see people reach out with their commentary, with their suggestions. I think that's part of what has helped me a lot to, to hear that people care and are willing to work towards a better vision for the future, whether that's a resolution or you know more meetings or more conversations. I, I think. It all helps me um, to see people being engaged in this process, even though the answers are, sometimes there just are no answers and sometimes there's there's just a lot of gray area and it feels like you're doing something, but sometimes you're not really sure how it impacts things or if it'll really solve anything. I mean, it's difficult to say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually really glad to hear about um, some of the resolutions that the EA uh, took and is is working on to address some of these concerns that people have. So why do you think that all staff and faculty should care about racism and xenophobia here at Cornell? During the pandemic,
2: there are, you know, these terrible aggressions happening towards Asian people. We've got the assaults, we've got the attacks, we've got the verbal jokes, the commentary, this Zoom bomb. So there's a range of ways in which we can see that there's been xenophobia and racism towards Asian people because of COVID. During this pandemic, it has increased. I I think there's also sort of insidious biases that people have as it pertains to Asian people. I think of this term called the bamboo ceiling. I think of misconceptions about Asian people that perpetuate within our society that sometimes lend to diminishing how capable Asian people might be in realms of being creative or in realms of being um, independent free thinkers, of being natural leaders. And so I think of this one instance that occurred prior to the pandemic. This was, I think, October of 2019. So almost a year ago, I was on a flight from uh, Washington DC to Seattle, Washington. I was sitting next to a middle-aged white woman. We struck up a conversation. And things were going really well. We had found a lot of parallels in our lives. She was from, coincidentally, the same neighborhood in Brooklyn that I'm from, uh, which is this neighborhood that nobody knows of. People who live there don't know about it. It's this neighborhood called Kensington, Brooklyn. She went to the same elementary school as me. She went to the same bagel shop as me. We you know, talked about the neighborhood and how things had changed so much. Uh, she went to Cornell for school. I work at Cornell, obviously. And so there were a lot of parallels in our lives. And so it was really a great conversation that we were having. And then all of a sudden, the conversation kind of changed and we started talking about Asian Americans. She is a lawyer at a law firm in D.C. And so she mentioned to me that while Asian Americans were great associates, they came from great schools, great education, very hardworking. She told me that she didn't think that Asian Americans were creative thinkers, that they weren't natural born leaders. And, and that really took me back because I did not sense any hostility from this person. I did not think that she was coming from an aggressive place, but I think what she was saying was tremendously harmful towards Asian Americans. I think a lot of people probably share these sorts of feelings about Asian Americans, about you know, a certain demographic thinking that perhaps we are very docile and we are very focused on academics, but perhaps we are not the best uh, at thinking outside of the box. Perhaps they might think that we're not very outspoken or that we are not the type to take leadership roles well, perhaps. I don't know. So that was sort of the feedback I was getting from her. And I, I was really not sure of how to address that because I think in my own Life In my own experiences with Asian Americans, I've found that Asians and Asian women have been some of the best leaders that I've seen and some of the most free-thinking and wildly passionate people that I've met. And so... It was disheartening to see, but I, I don't think that she was alone in thinking that. And so I think some of these preconceived notions about Asian people do kind of set in place this this sort of thinking that hinders Asian people uh, in advancement to certain levels. Um, and it's it's something I've spoken to you know my siblings about. Something I've spoken to other you know Asian people about where they feel as Asian going for same opportunities as other people of different races and ethnicities that they don't feel as if they're taking it seriously because of preconceived notions about who they think who they might represent so i think that is very disheartening as well
0: hey hey you mentioned the term bamboo ceiling for our listeners who don't know can you describe what that means The bamboo ceiling,
2: according to Wikipedia, was coined in 2005, but basically it addresses the barriers faced by Asian Americans in the professional arena. So there are stereotypes and racism that exists that provides basically hindrances to our professional growth. So as I spoke about this instance in the airplane with this person, it's these ideas, these preconceived notions, these racist notions that perhaps Asian Americans lack leadership potential, they lack communication skills, they lack creative thinking. So any sort of bias that you might have about Asian Americans prevent them from being able to acquire executive positions based on these preconceived notions. So when I think about how it applies to you know this academic sphere, I think if you've got faculty and staff, perhaps Make sure that you're checking your bias, you're thinking about when you engage in an interaction with an Asian American, if you're already thinking that they are sort of a docile, not free-thinking individual, that you kind of take a step back from these sort of negative thoughts. Because I think what ends up happening is you, you limit a person's capacity to kind of be more than these stereotypes and more than what you think that they are. So the bamboo ceiling is, is definitely something I think a lot of Asians have been fighting against for a while now. When you think about the amount of Asians in Ivy League institutions, it's pretty substantial. But when you think about the amount of Asians in executive level positions at you know, Fortune 500 companies, that doesn't represent that same percentage. So I think it's something that we haven't really reckoned with, it, and it is an issue for our community. It's one that we definitely have discussed and pondered.
1: So, going back to the bamboo ceiling, I think a lot about how that is also perpetuated by things like the model minority myth. And so, would you mind just explaining to the listeners about a little bit about the model minority myth, but also just the implications that that has, particularly on Asian Americans?
2: Sure. I think the model minority myth. It's sort of a double-edged sword for Asian people. I don't personally subscribe to it. I don't like the way in which the model minority myth has been weaponized to undermine the obstacles faced by Black and Latin people in America, especially as it pertains to higher ed. When you think about the model minority myth, you categorize Asian people into this bucket We are hardworking, docile, educated people who have done really well in this country. And it really discounts some of the struggles of other minorities. um, And it really discounts, you know, the type of people that are coming in. Migration into America is not easy. It's not cheap. It brings in a certain kind of person into the country. And I think we're seeing currently this model minority myth which is just that a myth sort of being uh, used against Asian people. And I I don't subscribe to it. I don't think that you can ever describe one group of people as as one sort of stereotype and and just subscribe to that indefinitely. I think it really discounts the individuality that we all have. So I personally dislike the phrase. I don't like it. And I think it does hold us back from being able to be our own individual people with our own individual struggles, whatever that looks like. So I'm not a fan.
0: And to your point earlier, it also creates monolith, right? So it it takes all Asian American or Asian groups and and combines them into one type of experience. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So speaking of leadership roles and not to change the topic from what we were talking about, but can you talk a little bit about your leadership uh, role in the EA, particularly what uh, made you actually, you know, uh, apply uh, to be part of the employee assembly and, and then take on some of the leadership roles that you have there? Sure. I joined the employee assembly a couple of years ago. I think maybe three
2: years ago, I applied for the position of the less than five years representative and it was the only contested position. I think there were three staff members that wanted this position, which I think was really great because it showed that, you know, people new to Cornell really cared and wanted to be engaged in, in shared governance at Cornell. And I think myself, I wanted to be part of employee assembly because I wanted to get a better understanding of what are some issues facing everyone? I think there are issues that I have, but, you know, as a whole, I wanted to learn more about Cornell, more about how it operated, to have conversations with people from completely different backgrounds that I normally wouldn't interact with. I think a lot of times in our specific roles at Cornell, we deal with our department, we deal with our college, but we don't branch out to other departments, other colleges, other units. And, and I thought it was a great opportunity to meet more people and to, you know, get a better sense of Cornell as a whole. And I think it's been really positive experience to meet so many great staff members. I've worked at a lot of corporate positions before this, you know, in finance capacities. I think the people that work at Cornell have really shown how much they care about the values of Cornell. And I think that's been really amazing to see the engagement level of staff uh, members here at Cornell. And just how hard that they work with sometimes very little and how it seems over time they've been asked to do more with less. And I think in this pandemic time, we're seeing that more than ever that staff are being asked to do a lot with less. And that's commentary I've heard over and over again in my time at the employee assembly. And so it was really interesting to have these conversations with staff members and also to um, have the opportunity to engage with senior leadership, to be able to have conversations with Mary Opperman and Martha Pollock and To be able to to have this platform, to have these staff forums has been a really great experience because I think it's a good way to bridge senior leadership with staff members. How do we engage both parties in a conversation around these really difficult topics? Sometimes there are no answers. But I think to have that opportunity to see Paul Streeter or to see Joanne DiStefano, to see you know, Ryan Lombardi, address staff members to answer their questions, to provide their honest feedback. I think that that is really invaluable, and I think it's been really great. So I really appreciate what the Employee Assembly has done from when I started to to where they are right now. I think they've shown tremendous growth, and I think for myself, when I first started just to be a representative, it was just to learn more, meet people, try to figure out what are the problems. And not necessarily say, I'm going to come in and fix it, but I just wanted to learn more and have people get together to talk about solutions and work through it together collaboratively. And I think that has really been key to be able to say, we have issues with traffic and then issues with parking. So let's meet with transportation. Let's meet with you know the team that works on this and have different staff members from across campus meeting to discuss these issues. I think that's really what shared governance is about is about collaborating. It's really about working together and, and seeing what the path forward is. So me wanting to get into leadership at the employee assembly seemed like the next progression for me to, so as just a, an EA member, you have these conversations, you work in committees, and that's great. I think when you join the executive committee, you meet frequently with Mary Opperman. You talk about a lot of the plans and the initiatives. I think that's just another way to kind of learn more and gain a different perspective. And and that's really what I, I wanted to do this entire time, to just learn more, have more conversations, and to to talk to people about what do you think is happening. Share that with me. And I think it's been really great that we have all these staff members. We have reached such a great level of engagement with our EA membership and then also with the staff community. It's been really great for me to see that we've been able to, to reach as many um, EA staff members as we have been. I am a huge proponent of the employee assembly and this year we've had a lot of interest, which I think um, is a result of um, how much we've really engaged with the staff population in the 2016 Employee Staff Survey, there was a question of whether or not Employee Assembly represented your your interests and your concerns. And the answer was like 28% people thought that the Employee Assembly represented their concerns and, and their issues. And I think that we've come a long way since 2016 in terms of you know what we've been doing, what, the type of engagement we've been working on. And I, I attribute that to the leadership, not myself, but But, you know, the chairs before me and, you know, with the direction and the amount of commitment we've seen from EA members, I've just seen a lot of dedication towards his work. It is a lot of work on top of your already existing 40 hours or more every week. And so I really want to thank the EA members, thank EA leadership, thank senior leadership for supporting the employee assembly and also thank the office of the assemblies for providing support as well. So that's my employee assembly plug. everybody. Go join a committee. Go Everybody, join, get involved. Go work on go a, join. An issue. Yes.
1: Another call to action, just like mm-hmm. you've been you dropping yeah. this yeah. whole entire interview. <laughs> Be
2: engaged. And also, after the Zoom bomb, I joined the Women of Color Colleague Network Group. Um, yes. Because I want also to talk to more people and see what we can do and hear other people's stories uh, because their stories are just different from mine. But also, I think it's all very intertwined. I think we all have. A part to play. And we all should be a part of this conversation because it's not just about me as an Asian American. It impacts everybody. I also want to mention that we passed a resolution to add a black indigenous person of color seat on the employee assembly. Wow. And, and so I feel like something terrible happened, but the employee assembly rallied and then we created some good things afterwards. And so it's not all terrible. And I think that has been very helpful to see. Something terrible, you know, staff engagement, resolutions, you know, calls to action. And even this podcast, I think, is a good way to spread information and to continue that conversation. So, again, thank you both. And that's it.
0: Yeah, and thank you for that amazing plug for the Colleague Network group. And would like to invite anybody else who would like to join the Colleague Network groups, please do so anytime.
1: And if people want to get involved in committees through the Employee Assembly, how can they do that?
2: You can go on the Cornell Employee Assembly website. You can just Google Cornell Employee Assembly and it should lead you to the employee website where you go to committees and you can see the times that they meet. You can see the email addresses. You can see the chairs. Um, You can join a committee even if you are not on the employee assembly. A lot of people, you know, delve into that sort of to put your toe in to kind of see what is being done, uh, what conversations are being had. So I think it's a good way to... To dabble in the employee assembly if you don't have a seat. So that's my plug.
1: So you know, you talked a little bit, hey, hey, about just how with everything that's going on and I think the this incident, you know, as traumatic I would say as it was, you know, it's I think it's also indicative of everything that's happening outside of Cornell too. And you what you mentioned earlier too is that Cornell is not immune to situations like these. And I think it's so important for people to know about these types of incidents, as you mentioned. And so I just think moving forward, in terms of support, in terms of allyship, particularly towards Asian Americans, and I love how you mentioned that Asian Americans are not a monolithic group. And I think that's something that can really resonate with all their identities as well as not seeing them as monolithic groups, especially with Asian Americans and with what's happening, particularly around xenophobia towards Asian Americans here in this country. What what would you recommend in terms of just things to consider from an allyship perspective for those who don't identify as Asian American to best support staff members who identify?
2: I think it's important to listen. I think it's important to reach out. I think in the Pew research um, study that I referenced, over 51% of Black people during this pandemic have had somebody reach out to them To check up on them, whereas only 28% of Asian people have felt that other people have reached out to them, and so I think that support is is really is really key. I think for myself, it was very helpful to reach out to other people, talk about you know what happened, and I think through that, I found that people were tremendously supportive, and it really helped me to to feel that empathy and feel that support. So I think if they're faculty or staff or they're um students i think it's important to reach out to your community to reach out to people of color to see how they're doing to to see how it might be helpful to to have conversations um ask them what can i do to help i mean maybe sometimes it's nothing for myself oftentimes i'll talk about you know this incident and people will say what can we do and the answer is this this is all i really need right now i just need you to listen i need you to understand that this is happening i'm i'm not just making it up And to kind of understand my perspective, I had a conversation with a friend and I was expressing some of my fears about returning to New York City for a visit. And she is a person of color. She's an Afro-Latina and she indicated that she hadn't seen any racism towards Asian people. And so she thought it would be fine for me. And I understood where she was coming from. I think she was trying to quell some of my fears, but I think it almost felt like she was minimizing maybe some of the real fear I might have, I mean, based on. You know, this Pew Research Center study, I mean, 31% of Asian people have, so that's one in three Asian people have have had slurs, jokes directed at them because of their Asian identity. And so where I'm going with this is I, I, I want people to understand that, that these things are happening and not minimize how Asian people might be feeling, some of the, the very real fears that we have.
1: Hey, hey thank you so much for sharing the story that you shared with the zoom bombing incident. But I think for me, as I'm just listening to you and just everything that you've shared, I think there's just so much that I'm sitting with that. I think you've really put just a really strong call to action for all of us to have a role in really combating against xenophobia towards Asian Americans in this particular moment, as we are seeing so many other forms of injustice that are happening here. So I just really want to thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for putting out, so many calls to action for all of us to really find out what it is that our role is to be able to combat against this. And so really, you know, genuinely just want to say, and also thank you for your leadership as well, in terms of being a part of the employee assembly. And just in terms of having these conversations, and as you mentioned, there's a lot of gray areas. I know for me as a training specialist, like I know what that gray area is. And I, I like to be able to engage in that with other staff members here. But I also think it's, just as valuable and important to hear from people like yourself who also have other leadership roles here who are also doing essentially the same thing that I'm doing that Toril is doing in our respective roles even though we are in inclusion and workforce diversity that it's not just our job or our role to have these conversations and I think that's something that that I'm really sitting with and walking away with from today's conversation and everything that you've shared so thank you so much once again. Thanks. Wow, Toril, what an interview! What did you think? What did you take away from the conversation with Hey Hey?
0: There were two components, really. It's one is this concept of a monolith, and then the other one is this model minority concept, right? That really both of those speak to me. And for me, the monolith concept, you know, as an Indian American, somebody who who whose family ancestors and and you know I was born in India. I am technically considered Asian, right? Because India is part of Asia, but because you know, and so th- so this other side of this monolith is yes, one concept is that all Asians are grouped together as one identity, but then there is there is this South Asian group that's kind of left out of even the monolith, right? And and yet we're part of this larger group that exists, and so so I want to kind of honing on that concept a little bit. And then the other one that stood out to me was this concept of model minorities. And as an individual, as a female minority, I can truly say that even though I am a female and a, a woman of color, that I have had a lot of privileges that I know doesn't exist for other marginalized identities, right? And I think it's because I am also considered to be part of this model minority group or myth that exists that you know technically as an Asian American that I have a lot of advantages that are afforded to me because I'm part of this model group. So those are the two components in our conversation that really stood out to me and that really spoke to me.
1: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that and for being vulnerable and admitting that in this recap. So thank you. What I really took away from this conversation is just the need really to understand how COVID-19 is impacting many communities, not just here in the United States, but around the world. And I think especially with this increase in violence, specifically towards Asians and Asian Americans, it just reminds me of how even when we think about the words xenophobia and racism and how with racism, we always attribute it to the Black community versus the white community. And then when it comes to xenophobia, I think specifically about the relations. Politically speaking, between Mexico and the United States, but xenophobia is a global issue and so is racism. And so I think for me, what I really took away from this conversation was really having to do that work to read about how COVID-19 is not just impacting people from a public health perspective, but also how things like xenophobia and racism are being highlighted or kind of being risen to another level and how it's affecting so many different communities, especially marginalized communities around the world. And so I think as a training specialist, as part of what I do is really to read up on my articles, educate myself to then educate other people. And so I really appreciate the call to action that Hey put on all of us to have these conversations and to continue having these conversations as it pertains to Asian and Asian American folks.
0: I agree with you, Anthony, and I think that we all need to work extra hard on creating space where all marginalized groups are welcome, Um, and I think it's so amazing that you and I have a role where we can actually do that right and where we can create spaces for everyone but I you know to to take the call to action that Hey put on all of us that I think we all need to work on on creating that space within our own individual work environments whether that's over Zoom or in person across campus as well as in our everyday lives as well
1: And I also just want to emphasize to the importance of listening that Heihei talked about and the need for for us to really just listen. To different perspectives, to different opinions, and especially in the times that we're living in in regards with racial justice, with COVID-19, and how it's affecting, disproportionately affecting certain communities. Now more than ever, I think it really calls for both of us and for all of us really at Cornell to just simply listen to our different perspectives, to listen to the different lived experiences of our colleagues in order for us to really understand how things like COVID-19 are affecting us in different ways, in similar ways, but also in different ways. And just being able to listen, I think that was such a key point that Hey really talked about and that I think I'm really taking away and just reaffirming for me to continue to listen.
0: Yes. When I think of listening, you know, I and it's something that I've learned recently. A lot of times, I think my entire life, I didn't realize that there were so many different components to listening, right? And I've always listened to the words that somebody says and then I respond but I don't think I've ever paid attention to somebody's facial expression as they're saying it, their body language. Are they cringing? Are they, you know, clenching their fists or their hands? What is their body language telling me? You know, is there emotions at work here that I'm not seeing because all I'm doing is listening to their words? So those kinds of things I think are important for all of us to pay attention to is, is really listen. And then once you hear them in every capacity, take it in. Right. What are they really trying to tell you? Take it in before responding.
1: And we all should be striving to do that because sometimes those cues tell us more about what they're trying to communicate than what it is that they're verbally saying to us. So and I think especially across different cultures and different languages, how I've been able to communicate with people who speak other languages that I don't speak has been through body language, has been through tone of voice and saying, "Okay, I may not necessarily know exactly what they're saying. But their body language is, is communicating that they're willing to listen to me, even if we don't speak the same verbal language. And so uh, especially across different cultures and lines of communication, I think that is so important to remember for all of us.
0: That's it for this month's show. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe and submit a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or SoundCloud. It helps new listeners find us and the show. Also, if you are a fellow colleague who'd like to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, please email us at ie-academy@cornell.edu. My name is Toral Patel.
1: My name is Anthony Sis. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast.
0: This podcast is a production of the Department of Inclusion and Workforce Diversity in collaboration with Cornell Broadcast Studio.
1: A very special shout out and thank you to Bert Odom Reed, our sound engineer, for making us sound wonderful each and every episode. Thanks, Bert. Thanks, Bert. (laughs) Really awesome. Perfect. (laughs)